Chapter 15 of Percy Wynne, or Making a Boy of Him. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Percy Wynne, or Making a Boy of Him, by Francis J. Finn. Chapter 15. From Grave to Gay. A Serious Conversation, Followed by a Game of Football. It was the afternoon of the eighth day since Percy's entrance into the infirmary. He was now in good health, but as a matter of prudence, was still kept on the sick list. Tom entered to give his last private lesson in Latin. He found Percy reading a letter from home. You're just in time, Tom. Here's a message for you. It's from Sister Mary. She says, Tell your magnificent little friend Tom Playfair that we are all full of gratitude to him. For the kindness and painstaking he has bestowed on our dear little brother. If prayers and good wishes may help him on, they shall never be wanting. And here's something else, Tom. He handed Tom a laced picture of the Blessed Virgin. It's from Minnie. Minnie? Yes, she's my youngest sister, only six years old. She wants Sister Mary to let me know that she likes Tom Playfair better than all her sisters except perhaps Sister Mary. She has her doubts even about this exception. And she wants it known to the whole family that if she's not allowed a more liberal allowance of cake and candy, she'll run off and tell Tom Playfair on them. Oh, she's so funny, Tom. Sometimes she makes a regular speech. She can talk wonderfully well for a child of six. What must the rest of them be, thought Tom, if the baby girl can make speeches? If ever any of them comes this way, I think I'll run away myself. Tom, continued Percy, I've another very beautiful letter. Which sister? asked Tom with a grin. From Martin Peters. He says he would have written me before, only if he couldn't use his hand. He will have to stay in bed all winter, but the doctor assures him that he will be able to use his feet again just the same as though they had never been frostbitten. That's good news, said Tom, but the poor fellow will have to go minus two fingers for the rest of his days. What more does he say? He begs my forgiveness, and asks my prayers, and writes me all manner of nice things. Peters is in earnest, said Tom. He wrote me a letter, too. I got it by this morning's mail. He said so many nice things to me in it that I blushed and tore it up. Did you? Just so. He's studying privately, and is going in early spring to an Eastern Catholic college. I guess there was special providence in his having been exposed that awful night. God was cruel only to be kind, assented Percy. I wonder, thought Tom, where Percy raked up that quotation. I say, Percy, he continued aloud, there's one thing about you which has puzzled me a good deal. Indeed, you surprise me. I have never seen you look so much astonished of late at anything I said or did. I thought you had gotten used to me. So I have, in a way. But there's one thing I can't explain. Most boys coming from home to boarding school for the first time get dreadfully homesick and lose their cheerfulness. Now I haven't noticed any change in you at all. Well, it is funny. I thought I would be. But I believe I can explain it. It's this way. In the first, I fell in with good boys, and kind ones too at once. They've treated me so nicely that sometimes I'm positively ashamed of myself. 
for I know I don't deserve it at all. Then, besides, there's the novelty of fishing, swimming, baseball, and all sorts of games. It's like a new world to me. Yes, that's all right for the first month or so, said Tom. But what about this last week in the infirmary? You haven't had the novelty of outdoor games, and besides, you are often alone. I was sure you'd get homesick in here. Percy paused before answering. Well, Tom, I don't mind telling you, but I've got a friend I always try to keep by me, and when I feel inclined to be sad, I do what my mother advised me to do when we bade each other goodbye. I talk to it, see? He drew from his pocket a Morocco case, opened it, and disclosed to Tom's eyes a beautiful picture of the Sacred Heart. Tom's face expressed genuine pleasure. That's a capital idea, he said. Indeed it is, assented Percy. Sister Mary gave it to me, and really I find by experience that a few words with the heart of Jesus do give me strength. I've got a plan, something like that myself, said Tom, as he drew a rather worn scapular of the Sacred Heart from his pocket. John Donnell gave me the idea. It's not much to look at, I know. But when I feel like getting angry or sulky, or grow tired studying, or anything goes wrong, I just put my hand in my pocket and catch hold of it. That brings me to time regularly. One week later, if we may anticipate, Tom received a small parcel by the mail. It contained a Morocco case enclosing a picture, both identical with Percy's. On a slip of paper accompanying the gift were the words, With the compliments of Mary Wynne. I'm glad to learn that you know something about the devotion to the Sacred Heart, continued Tom, for I intended speaking to you on this very point. Some of us boys have a little association in private. Keenan is at the head of it, and Donnell, Quip, White, Brothers, Granger, and eight or nine more are members. We all observe certain easy rules, and it seems to do a great deal of good. The president of the college knows of it, and likes it very much. You don't say, exclaimed Percy. That's just splendid. No wonder so many of the boys here are so good, and so kind, too, to queer people like me. Of course I'll be delighted to join it. Tom explained the rules in a few words. The writer has at his hand the whole scheme of this little association, with the names of all the members up to a certain year. But as the association may, for aught he knows, be still in existence, he thinks it prudent not to infringe on their privacy by divulging their simple rules. And now for our lesson, pursued Tom. We've seen nearly everything in Latin as far as the glass has gone, except a few rules in syntax and ninety-five lines of viri rome. I really think you can afford to take a rest this afternoon. Even with ordinary study, I'm sure you'll be up with the glass in a few weeks. Very good. I like Latin immensely, Tom since you've given me a good start, and now I'm really glad I had to take this week in the infirmary. I've been able to give all my time to Latin, and I'm well enough up in all other branches of our class. It's about time to come out into the fresh air, though, said Tom. I want to show you something about football. It's been cool weather ever since the night you came in, and it's too chilly for baseball any longer. Next morning, Percy, with his hair close-cropped, made his appearance in the yard. He was received with almost an ovation. The students crowded around him, eagerly pressing forward to shake his hand. What with the honors thus showered upon him, 
and what with the feeling that he must look so queer with his golden hair cut short percy blushed so violently and became so confused that honest john donnell with a fine delicacy forced his way through the crowd caught him up and carried him off come on boys he cried we're going to play football and percy's on my side there were at each end of the yard two posts seven feet high joined together at the top by a crossbar seven feet in length these were the goals of the respective sides and it was the object of each of the contending forces to keep the ball from entering his own goal and to kick it if possible into that of his opponents the football was to be touched only with the feet with one exception this was when a ball kicked in the air could be secured before it touched the ground in this case it could be punted straight with a fist or again the catcher had the privilege of running with it if he could but even then in delivering it he was obliged to put it on the ground and kick it from that position kicked from his hands it would be a foul and should it reach the goal the play would not count these rules with others less important were quickly explained to percy and he was assigned a station midway between the two goals you see said tom conducting him to his position the chances are you'll miss the ball every time you try to kick it but it doesn't matter so much far off from the goal if we were to put you up closer to keenan's goal it wouldn't matter so much either only you'd run the risk of getting shinned in a crowd but wouldn't it be better for the first time if i were to play near our own goal not by any manner of means if you were to miss a kick there you might lose the game on us now you know where you're to stand come back behind this line till the ball is kicked off now keep your eyes open donald's going to take the first kick the ball was placed about fifty feet in front of john's goal each side putting itself in position donald's side which for convenience we will call our side a little behind the ball and keenan's back of a fixed line fronting their goal ready cried donald kick away answered the captain of the opposing side moving back a few feet donald ran forward and with a vigorous kick sent the ball spinning into the air the scene of life and animation which immediately ensued beggars description percy was utterly amazed just a moment before he had been standing in a crowd of some forty or fifty boys all perfectly quiet facing an equally large cloud which save for their bright eager eyes seemed to be without life or motion now all was changed as the rugby ball rose in the air a rousing cheer broke from a hundred lusty throats then a quick patter and stamping of feet and a hundred lads jostling crowding hastening forward in pursuit of the ball come on percy cried tom putting a period to the novice's contemplation don't stand there star-gazing look alive catching him by the arm tom rather unceremoniously hurried him forward to his place all this was in acting while the ball was still in the air it was going straight towards our opponent's goal but one of the goalkeepers kennedy a tall thin youth made a spring into the air and caught it on the fly run it run it shouted his side drop it drop it yelled our fellows who were making for kennedy with a speed which promised to settle the question out of hand kennedy was evidently unused to the game he hesitated now in football a boy who hesitates is lost he slowly made up his mind to run it 
but before he had barely taken one step forward, Donal was upon him, and with a clever rap, sent the rugby flying out of his hands. But it was another thing to kick the ball in, lying though it was just in front of Keenan's goal. As it fell to the ground, our side came up in great numbers, and, cheered on by their leader and his lieutenants, made vigorous efforts to clear the ball through the opposing ranks. Stand by the goal, roared the enemy, and they did stand by it to the full of their skill. In the meantime, Percy wondered what had become of the ball. There was no sight of it, nothing to be seen but a compact mass of boys, kicking, pushing, panting, shouting, all earnest, none angry. Tom, stationed a few yards to Percy's right, was amusing himself by practicing handsprings. Percy interrupted his exercise with the question, Where's the ball, Tom? That's what everybody's trying to find out, said Tom. Goodness me, continued Percy, shaking back his hair in imagination. Such is the force of habit. I never thought that so large a crowd of boys could pack themselves up so tightly. How many are there, Tom? Everybody except you, me, Johnson there, and our six goalkeepers. About ninety in all. Keep your eyes open, Percy. The ball may come flying your way any moment. But the jam and push still continued. Crowd it out! Crowd it out! rang the battle cry of our opponents. Force it in! Force it in! answered our side. Play fair! shouted Donal above the din. Come on and help us! Bring up all the goalkeepers except two. We must crowd it in! Stay here, Percy, said Tom. He added in a much louder voice, All of you goalkeepers, come up on a run except Ruthers and Summers. But before these words of command were well free of Tom's mouth, the ball came with a bound out of the crowd, amid wild applause from the enemy. As the fates had arranged matters, it was coming through the air straight towards Percy, who stood looking at it in wonder and awe. Our side was filled with dismay. Run back to the goal, quick! yelled Donal. Suddenly another cheer arose, drowning out the triumphant clamoring of the enemy. Tom Playfair, anticipating Percy's inability to act, had on a dead run captured the ball within a foot of the ground, and was now dashing on towards Keenan's goal. So quickly had all this come to pass that the boys who had been innermost in the pack had scarce fully disengaged themselves. Hence only a few of the enemy were in Tom's vicinity. Head him off! Stop him! Take the ball from him! cried those of the enemy nearest the goal as they pressed forward. But not only was Tom a speedy runner, he was an expert too in the art of dodging. Already by his adroitness had he given three of the enemy the slip, and in successfully avoiding a fourth, he ran with full force into a fifth, unintentionally of course, and sent him sprawling. He was now within fifty feet of the goal, and had no time to lose, for the enemy were upon him close. Flashing the ball to the ground, he gave it a straight kick. It made directly towards the goal. There was a dismal groan from the enemy, followed in almost the same breath by their shout of joy. The ball had overshot the goalposts. Keenan ran back and secured the ball, which was now out of bounds. According to the rules of the game as played at St. Mars, he was now entitled to bring the ball forward to an imaginary straight line from the goal, and to give it a free kick, i.e., without being molested by our men, who could not touch it till it had left its hands. Once in motion, the scuffling and pushing began afresh, 
but this time the ball was not lost under hurrying feet. Indeed, it was not suffered to touch the ground at all. Beaten from hand to hand, or rather from fist to fist, it seemed to play like a dimmed glory above the players' heads. One boy with a vigorous blow would send it towards the enemy's goal, and another, jumping into the air and reaching it with his hand, would drive it back. So for some minutes the ball seemed to fly from hand to hand, like a butterfly in a garden of flowers. Suddenly it touched the ground, and before one could so much as take a breath, a quick kick from Keenan sent it high over the heads of the punters, straight towards Percy. To the surprise of everyone, especially to his own, Percy caught it. Hurrah! shouted Tom. Run, Percy, and kick it as soon as any of the other fellows get near you. Percy's eyes shone with excitement. He looked towards Keenan's goal, and saw the whole path blocked with breathless, hurrying boys. But towards our goal, he perceived all was clear. Hurrah! he shouted, and turning, he set off with all speed towards his own goal. Hold on, Percy, come back! The other way! bawled Tom. But his words were drowned in the general noise, and Percy, in his innocent but misdirected zeal, sped on. No one being prepared for this strange proceeding, who was actually within a few feet of our own goal before his progress was arrested, having, to the general astonishment, successfully evaded two of his own men, Johnson and Summers. But when he came face to face with Harry Quip, he stopped of his own free will. Here, Harry, he shouted, what shall I do with it? Give it to me quick, said Harry, and taking the ball, he put it to the ground hurriedly, and sent it whirling on high back to the middle of the yard. "'What did you do that for?' Percy inquired, in great surprise. "'Look here, Percy,' answered Harry. "'The object of this game isn't to kick the ball anywhere, or run anywhere with it, "'nor is it to kick it towards any goal, or run it towards any goal. "'The idea is to get it through the goal of the other side. "'Just now you were playing against us, and you ran so well with those stiff old legs of yours "'that you nearly lost us the game.' "'You don't say,' Percy exclaimed. Oh, I'm so sorry. You must excuse me this time, Harry. Next chance I get, you'll see I'll play right. And Percy, with his ideas more coherently arranged on the subject of football, resumed his position in the field. He had scarcely taken his place when another pean of excitement rang through the startled air. Head him off! Pull him down! Stop him! Hold him! Catch him! Keenan's got the ball! Hurray for Keenan! Such were the excited voices that broke from the throng as Keenan, with the ball locked in his arms, forced his way, panting and breathless, towards our goal. Keenan was rather undersized for his years, but he was of muscle all compact and could run like a deer. With the force of a young battering ram, he shot by several of our side. A few of our boys made weak attempts to arrest his course, but it was plain that they had but little heart to beard him directly. He was now nearing Tom's station, and that young player, who was not easily frightened, made a bold dash at him. George took a quick turn to one side, but his adversary was no less quick, and caught George's arm, to which he held on grimly. But George was of uncommon strength, and redoubling his efforts, he went right on, dragging, almost carrying his assailant. The excitement, now at its high watermark, became so contagious that even Percy for the nonce became a spirited football player. In his turn, he made a bold dash at Keenan, but missing him, he chanced to catch Tom. The added weight was too much for Keenan. He lost his balance and fell back. 
the ball rolling to one side. Tom was up in an instant. He gave the ball a slight but well-aimed kick, sending it straight to Donal, who, stopping it with his hand, placed it in position, and before the enemy could guard home, sent it flying through their goal. The game was ours. Percy then, without so much as kicking the ball, it was several weeks later before he acquired the knack, had been an important factor in the victory. End of chapter 15 Read by Mark Berube, Edmonton, Alberta, May 2021